Let's now listen to God's word as we read the scripture this morning from the book of Genesis, chapter 5. I'll be reading the entire chapter, Genesis chapter 5, for our scripture lesson. We'll be concentrating specifically on the 24th verse. Genesis 5, this is the word of the living God. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel. After he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters, so all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands. Because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. And Noah was 500 years old. And Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Verse 24, once again, we read about Enoch. And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. And so that makes me turn to Hebrews 11, just to read a verse for you there as well about Enoch. And that is to be found here in uh, the fifth verse of Hebrews 11. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death 
and was not found because God had taken him. For before he had taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word and also our uh, reflection upon it this morning. Walking, people of God. What is more common than walking? We walk every day, don't we? And we do so without even thinking. We get out of bed in the morning, and the first thing we do is we walk. And throughout our waking hours, we're constantly going here and there, always walking about. And then when the day is over, we once again return to our beds. We give our bodies the rest that they need so that we can walk some more again the next day. You know what a privilege it really is when you think about it to be able to walk. You only have to think about persons who, because of accident or disease or disability, cannot walk or never have been able to walk. They reach, and we, of course, realize that all of us, when we reach a certain time or age in our own lives, also may experience that well, that we too can no longer walk. And then we realize the rich blessing it is to be able to walk. This morning, I want to speak to you about another kind of walking that the Scriptures talks about, not a physical kind, but a spiritual kind. Because the Bible mentions that actually very, very often. If you were to look up the word walk, or walking, or some other form of the word in a Bible concordance, you would realize how often the Bible uses that word. And almost all the time, you will find that it is speaking about a spiritual activity. For example, just to give you a few, the Bible says in Psalm 86, verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. In Isaiah 2, verse 5, we are urged, O house of Jacob, let us walk. In the light of the Lord. And of course Jesus said in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In these and many more passages, it's talking about a spiritual kind of walking. But to teach us what that involves, the Bible also gives us some concrete examples of such walking. It cites some persons who walked spiritually. And one of the best known of these examples is the person that I want to look with you briefly this morning, a man by the name of Enoch. Enoch was a man who walked with God. As our text from Genesis 5 states, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now many Christians have been intrigued by this man. They've been especially curious about what happened to him recorded in that brief last comment of the text, and he was not, for God took him. And I'll come to that statement later on, towards the end of our message this morning. What did that really mean? And he was not, for God took him. However, the central truth that we should remember about Enoch is not his ending on this earth, as it were, but his walk on earth, his walk with God. That was really the key to his whole life. That's what the Bible specifically wants us to note about him. But before we come to that, it's good, first of all, this morning to look at the identity of this unique ancient man and saint of God. Who was Enoch? And well, the primary reference we have to him in the scriptures is in the chapter that we just read, Genesis 5. And need I tell you, after you heard it, 
that this chapter constitutes a genealogy. In fact, the first genealogy that we have in the scriptures. Now, genealogies, I grant you, are not the most exciting things to read. We don't like to read them in our own devotions or in our family devotions. But they, they are significant in their own way, for their own purpose. They do carry a message that is important. And one basic truth that the genealogy that's recorded in Genesis 5 teaches us is that after Adam's fall into sin, his posterity became subject to death. That's why you heard that constant refrain in this chapter. After it mentions a particular person and how long he lived, and then it always ends, and he died. Begins already with verse 5 with Adam himself. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And so it continues on and on, always ending with that somber phrase, and he died, with one exception, the one that we'll come to and we'll consider this morning. But the constant message of this chapter and genealogy is that these persons all died. This, this is one long obituary column. You ask yourself, why did the Holy Spirit put this chapter in the Bible? Well, certainly to remind us that after Adam's fall into sin, the result was death. It brought death into the world. It turned this earth from a beautiful, perfect paradise where death was unknown to a universal graveyard. Now, as you heard, those ancient persons certainly lived long lives, on the other hand, Um, A lot longer than ours. Many of them, as you heard, lived over 900 years or over 800 years. You think to yourself, what amazingly long lives those must have been. Were these people stronger than you and me? And I would say undoubtedly so. I believe that God gave them such long lives to populate the earth. As God had told Adam and Eve already, before the fall, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the way they filled, began to fill the earth, to fulfill that mandate. And yet those long lives after the fall were not lives of unmixed blessing, because they were not easy lives. And we heard that also in this chapter. They were filled with toil. They were filled with hardship and with suffering. And ultimately, they all led to death. So that's one reason that the chapter is here, to remind us of what the fall resulted in death. But another reason I think the Holy Spirit inserted this genealogy here in Scripture is that it carries the message that God still remained faithful to his covenant promise. The promise which he had already voiced in Genesis 3, 15, that he would raise up the seed from the seed of the woman, someone who would be a deliverer, one who would, would be a savior from sin, one who would crush the serpent's head who would conquer the seed of the devil. And it's noteworthy then that in Genesis 4, we read about the seed of the serpent. Genesis 4, the one before our scripture, we read about Cain and and his offspring, which included wicked men like Lamech, who boasted to his wives about killing a man who had wounded him. That, That was the line of Cain, the line of the ungodly. But in Genesis 5... We have the line of the godly, the descents of Adam through his son Seth. That was the covenant line. It's the line that ends in the chapter with the birth of Noah and his sons. 
through whom God would continue then the human race after the flood, and thereby also preserve for himself a covenant seed. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone mentioned here in the genealogy of Genesis 5 was was a true child of God. We we don't know what persons like Kenan and Mahalalel and their families were all like. In fact, I think we have reason to believe that many of the families that are mentioned in Genesis 5 also ended up turning away from God. Because right after Genesis 5 comes the account of Noah and the flood in Genesis 6, when virtually all the earth's inhabitants had become wicked and corrupt. But whatever all these persons in this genealogy were like, there was one person for sure singled out in this list who was singled out clearly and definitely as a godly man, a true covenant child of God, and that's Enoch. In fact, it's striking. All of a sudden, as we're reading this this litany of, of birth, life, death, so many years they lived, suddenly a comment is inserted here about one of these descendants of Adam. That's different. The inspired writer Moses pauses a moment as he mentions Enoch, and he writes about him. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He was a very unique man among all of these ancients. Now, what do we know then about his identity? Well, basically what we read here in Genesis 5 We know he lived not that long after Adam. And we also know from the New Testament letter of Jude, who also mentions Enoch, that he was the seventh generation from Adam. And then Jude mentions about Enoch that he was actually a prophet, a person, that is, who spoke God's word in a time when there was much wickedness and declared God's God's judgment against those who had fallen away from God. In that respect, he was a forerunner, in a way, of Noah, who also was a preacher of righteousness. And so Enoch did not have an easy task in life. As he lived on earth, he had to speak for God in those pre-flood years. However, there is something else that's mentioned about Enoch that's special, and that is that he will always be remembered for, and that's the key truth of his life and his conduct before God. And so it brings me secondly this morning to what the Bible singles out about him then, his walk with God. Now it's mentioned twice here in Genesis 5. First we read in verse 22, after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Now verse 21 had already mentioned that Enoch was 65 years old, when Methuselah, his firstborn son, was born. And then verse 22 says he walked with God for 300 years. Now, whether this implies that at the age of 65, Enoch underwent some kind of a special conversion, whether at this point in his life he began his intimate walk with God, we, we can't be sure. But in any case, it says he walked with God 300 years. And then it repeats this truth in verse 24, which says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. But now what exactly does that mean? Enoch walked with God. And it refers not to a physical experience here. I don't think, maybe sometimes, but I don't think that's the point. It refers to Enoch's spiritual life, his relationship to God, 
how he lived his life during those 300 years on earth. And his walk with God included several things that we can note. Uh, One thing certainly that is included here is that Enoch trusted in God. Enoch lived by a daily faith in God. He knew who God was and he intimately and firmly believed him. And so any person who wants to walk with God must first of all obviously know God and must believe in him. As 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 tells us, for we walk by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Again, as I said, we don't have to think that Enoch went literally strolling next to God. The Bible does say that in the Garden of Eden, God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day before their fall. I I think we can take that to be in the more literal sense, even though God is a spirit. But God could have taken on some kind of human visible form and regularly walk with the perfect man and woman whom he had created. But that all changed after the fall. To be sure, God did occasionally, occasionally appear in human form to various persons. He appeared to Abraham in that way once and talked with Abraham. And he may have appeared to Enoch that way too on various occasions. But in essence, in essence, Enoch's relationship to God was one of faith, as it is also true for all of God's children today. And we know that because this is indicated about him. In the other reference to Enoch that we find in Scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, often known as the Heroes of Faith chapter of the Bible. And there we read in Hebrews 11 verse 5, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Notice the reference to his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And I'm sure it's not talking only about his death. It's talking there about his relationship to God, or his supposed death, I should have said. And then Ebus adds that already before God took him, Enoch pleased God. How? Because this is by his daily life of faith in him, because Hebrews 11, 6 immediately continues, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, people of God, faith isn't something that we only need at the moment or at the point when we are converted or we are saved. We also need faith in our daily life for our spiritual growth. We need to believe in God. We need to believe in Christ at all times, in all of our circumstances. It's kind of like a marriage relationship. A husband and wife are are bonded together in love, a love, however, that also demands faith. They have to be able to trust in one another at all times. Without that, they cannot have a true oneness and a true fellowship. Enoch walked with God. It means he trusted in God every day as he lived his life on earth. And that should be true for us, too, in our lives. We need to walk with God in constant faith, in constant trust in him as our father and as our savior. And so the expression about Enoch that he walked with God also includes the idea that Enoch had daily communion with God. Or we can say he had intimate fellowship with God. As I said a moment ago, we don't have to believe that he literally went strolling next to God each day. But that doesn't mean that their relationship to each other was not one of intimate companionship. 
And you and I can also have a sense of the presence of God in our lives too, as if God is walking right beside us, right next to us. That's, of course, how our Lord Jesus, when he was on earth, walked with his Father. He walked in daily communion with his Father. And in Jesus' case, of course, it was a perfect communion. But Enoch also experienced something of that blessing of intimate fellowship with God. Now, to have fellowship with God for us, or between two persons, normally would involve, I think, two key elements. One is speaking to one another. The other is listening to one another. If you are walking with a friend, you talk and you listen to your companion. If you can't both be talking at the same time, uh, but then you won't hear each other, of course, but, but one has to be listening and the other is speaking. There can be moments of silence between the two of you, and I realize there can be some sense of fellowship in that respect as well, but that can only be for a time. In true fellowship, there's one who speaks and there's one who listens, and vice versa. And did you ever think of it? That's the way it is with us and with God when we walk together. First, he talks with us or to us, and we listen to him. That's what we're doing even at this moment as we're listening to his word being expounded or when we read his word. Yes, then, then God is, as it were, speaking to us. He speaks to us personally. He speaks to us communally as a people of God. But then there's also the reverse, of course, that we speak to him and then he listens to us. When does that happen? Whenever we pray, we are indeed speaking to him and he's listening to us. Yes, we, when we pray together as a congregation, in our congregational prayer, it's we speaking to God, he is listening to us. In our personal prayers, we are doing the same. And you see, both of these aspects of communion are necessary to have a true walk with God. Oh, if our walk was just closer to him, as we just sang in that hymn, oh, for a closer walk with God, that should be our daily desire that we have a greater sense or being in fellowship with him, listening to him, or speaking to him and he to us. Have you neglected, perhaps, to listen to him? I know you're doing it even now, but how often do you really listen to his word? How often do you read the scriptures? How long a passage of the Bible do you read when you read the scriptures? Just a short little bit, and that's it. It's good enough for today. Do you meditate? Do you reflect on what you read? Do you study it and seek to discern its meaning and also its application to your life? And how often do you pray to him? Do you realize when you're praying, you're talking, you're talking with God himself. And how long do you do it? Is it just for a few moments? Is it earnest? Is it meaningful? Or is it often just a rote reciting of familiar words. <clears throat> Do you and I pray without ceasing, as the Bible exhorts us? And so on, somehow as your walk with God, have you experienced daily intimate fellowship with God? That's what it means, you see, to walk with God by faith and in fellowship. And then I should add one more element that is also included here in a true walk with God. 
It includes not only faith and communion, but also in obedience. Obedience. Let's not forget that. Because although we can walk with God, there is something that can quickly disrupt our walk. Something that can destroy our walk. And that is simply disobedience to God. In short, it's sin. All sin by nature breaks fellowship with God. As you heard this morning from 1 John 1, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. A person cannot be walking with God and living in sin. It's impossible. The prophet Micah told the people of Israel who were disobeying God's laws, they were oppressing the poor among them, they were committing violence, they were worshiping idols. The prophet Micah told the people, He, God, has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Enoch was not living in sin when he walked with God, which does not mean that he was perfect, of course. No one is perfect. He was a sinner by nature. But you see, living in sin, living in sin, Knowing it is sin, persisting in sin, that's different. Those who claim to walk with God and yet are walking in sin are called in Scripture hypocrites. We must not pretend to have fellowship with God when we have no interest in obeying Him or living a holy life. Walking with God is always an act of obedience to Him. Remember, God isn't only our companion. He is also our sovereign Lord. He doesn't only walk, as it were, with us and beside us. He also walks before us to lead us. Well, that's the essence, then, of Enoch's earthly life. A man who walked with God, as we are called to do as well. And having seen that key truth this morning about Enoch, I want to turn in thirdly and lastly this morning to what happened then to Enoch. The thing that we almost always remember about him and think of, uh, connect to him when we think of Enoch. What did Enoch's walk with God lead to? It led to one of the most intriguing, glorious endings to a person's life that's imaginable. We often call it Enoch's translation. Listen once again then to our text that says about him, Genesis 5, 24, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, what does that mean? He was not, for God took him. Well, as to the phrase, he was not, we will probably say in our colloquial way of speaking, he was no longer around. He was no longer there. He was gone. In fact, the phrase, God took him, is an expression that is still often used by Christians today. We simply mean by it, uh, specifically of persons then when they die, we simply mean by that expression that the Lord took that person to be with him in heaven, if he indeed is a true believer in Christ. But that's not how God took Enoch away, of course. Because if Enoch had died a typical way, the way of death, Genesis 5 would certainly have mentioned that same refrain about him as it mentions about all the others in the chapter. Then it would have said, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and he died. But that's not said, of course, about Enoch. 
of Enoch, it says, and he was not, for God took him. Now, how did God take him? And Hebrews 11, verse 5 makes it very clear how God did so. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Then it adds this sentence, and he was not found because God had taken him. So God took Enoch without him having to die. And where did God take him? Well, clearly to glory, clearly to heaven. Where else would God have taken Enoch? We use the word translation for Enoch's experience because it's taken from the King James Version of the Bible that renders Hebrews 11 verse 5 as, as like this. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. And the Greek word behind translated there means literally transferred or transported. And I, I like that word translated actually somewhat because it means that God only took Enoch away, but God exchanged, exchanged his earthly place and condition for a new place and condition, a heavenly state or condition. And God did so without Enoch having to go through death. It reminds, of course, of what God did later for another servant of his, the prophet Elijah. Elijah, too, was translated in dramatic fashion. God transported Elijah in a fiery chariot to heaven without him having to die. What a a unique act of God to allow those two particular sinners, Enoch and Elijah, to escape having to go through the last enemy of death and to enter directly then into God's presence. It was certainly a very special reward that God gave to these two special faithful servants because they were not worthy of it in themselves. Yes, God instantly purified their souls and their bodies as he translated, transported them to heaven so they could live as perfect human beings with him. And that leads me then, people of God, to two concluding thoughts this morning. One is this, has it ever struck you that even our Lord Jesus Christ did not enter heaven without first having to go through death? Although he was perfect, but he still had to die. The perfect son of God, while Enoch and Elijah, those sinners, escaped death. And how common it is that Christ still had to go through death. And you all know the answer to that question, I'm sure. Christ had to die, and he did so willingly because he took our sin upon himself. He bore our guilt in body and in soul. He had to endure the wrath of God in our place. And that wasn't only just physical death, although that was a part of it, but even eternal death. He took that upon himself in our stead. He died for our salvation and also for the salvation of Enoch and Elijah because they too deserved to die even though God permitted them to enter into his presence without going through physical death. Yet they deserved to die. But God in his special reward allowed him to escape that last enemy of death, of physical death. But then also notice, of course, that God's Son rose from the dead 
after having paid for our sins. And then, then, Jesus, like Enoch, ascended to glory without dying. As he entered into heaven's gates, the king to sit on his heavenly throne. And that brings me to a second thought and conclusion that I have, and it's this. When God permitted Enoch to enter heaven without dying, he was pointing us to a future day when all his people will enter glory in their bodies. Yes, it is still appointed for all of us to die physically. But in the day when Jesus Christ will come again, returning on the clouds of heaven, all his saints will come to enter into his presence. Those who have died will have their bodies raised from the dead. Those who are living when he returns will be instantly translated in their bodies and souls to enter glory. And what a day that will be to be found with Christ. After Enoch was taken away, the Bible says, interestingly, his loved ones could not find him one day, which to me suggests they were looking for him. Where was he? What happened to him after he had turned 365 years old? Still very old, of course, by our standards. But the fact is, he could not be found. The Bible indicates it, even though people were looking for him. They could find no trace of him. He was gone. But he was not lost. And that's the way it is with God's children who walk with him. You know, when our loved ones die in the Lord, we don't lose them. We don't lose them. We miss them physically, indeed. They're gone from us, our presence. But we don't lose them because we know where they are. We know they are found with Christ in his glory. Is that also where you will be found one day? Not lost, but found, found with Christ, there to walk with God in his presence forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that you have allowed us, indeed, to walk with you, that you grant us that special privilege of having that privilege of having that faith in you, that trust in you, that communion with you. Also, as we seek to honor and serve you, and that you're willing to walk with us even though we are unworthy sinners. And yet, Lord, you enable us through your grace to indeed have that intimate walk with God, with you, our God. And may it be indeed intimate. May it be a close fellowship, as we thought of Enoch this morning. May it be true of us too, O Lord. Or may we strive it to be the case for each of us as well as we live our lives to walk more closely with God, with you, our God, in listening to your voice and hearing your word in praying to you each and every day again, and also in obeying your holy will for our lives from day to day. O Lord, grant that even though we must pass through the gate of death, through that last enemy of death, that we too then can be assured that we will indeed enter into your presence to live with you and to walk with you and to walk with our Savior forever. And so may we look forward to that, and may we in the meantime, O Lord, be faithful walking with the Lord our God. In the blessed name of Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen.